Hello and welcome to another edition of the Pure Football Podcast. And this one is special. And I know I say that all the time, but I really, really mean it. Because we are going to look into the future as well as uh, seeing what's been done with the players that is not right or could be improved. We think that uh, we reached the end of the road in so many things. We think now we can push, we, we, we are pushing the players as far as they can go. Uh, but I feel that there are areas that we can actually work much better on. So we've got the perfect people to talk to us about this because not only they are working in the now, they are imagining the future. And when you actually got people that dedicated time to think where we're going, which means that they had a look at where we've been, then it's definitely going to be a lesson. The context of it, if you like, in, in a grosso modo, as we say in Spanish, in, 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 in big, big strokes, is, uh, is that there were changes in football at the Saki time in the 80s, organization of the team got better, then we moved perhaps to, um, to Johan Cruyff and what he did with Barcelona in the 90s, in which not only it was about organization, it was about attacking better and thinking of the fans too, and, uh, and just giving a spectacle, not just about winning. Then that gets followed, for instance, with uh, with Pep Guardiola. There is the Gege pressing of the Germans that is about organized chaos, if you, if you like. Uh, you can see these are movements, tactical movements that have happened. But now we're entering a phase in which everybody knows how everybody plays. So where are the marginal gains? Where can we get a victory now in a different way? Where are the new methodologies? As I said, uh, we've got three people that are going to help us answer all of that. And to start with, what I'm going to do is we're going to say the names and it's your chance to uh, give 30 seconds on who you are and what you've done, because if I do it, I'll, I probably won't get it right. So let's start with um, Jamba Loon. Where are we talking to, uh, to you from? Where are you from now? Well, I'm um, at my current club, FC Utrecht. I'm the head of coaching uh, in the academy. And uh, before... I worked as academy manager um, at Willem II. Uh, players like Fred, uh, Frankie de Jong and Virgil van Dijk uh, played there 10 years. And later on, I was uh, head of player development in the Arsenal Academy with players like uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and, and um, uh, Bakayo Saka and many more, of course. Yeah, so a tutor at um, uh, the Dutch FA for the, for the coach courses. And a very uh, interested in... Um, let's say, how people um, develop, how that works, uh, especially nowadays with all the challenges. So that is what I would like to implement. How do you think about my description of the last uh, 50 years of football in, uh, in 10 seconds? Does that work for you? <laughs> no, uh, absolutely, because I think the biggest uh, challenge is, of course, what, uh, what Pep did with, uh, with the game, because he didn't influence it only on the defensive side, but especially on the offensive side. And in the Netherlands, uh, with Michels and Cruyff, we want to talk about uh, operational spaces uh, who are not there yet and to see what's coming like a chess player. Yeah, and that is something, I think that, that that is why I wake up every morning to see that young player coming on the pitch. Uh, I don't care where, that can be anywhere in the world. 
and who has that uh, sort of, of idea of, okay, how can I influence the game? Not only playing the game, but how can I influence the game? And somewhere out there, there is a youngster who's going to be the new star. And uh, yeah, that is what I think is so interesting. Next, we're going to talk to another coach uh, who's developing his career in the UK, but uh, who is Spanish. By the way, those that think of the future, those that think differently, those that uh, have got the bigger picture, tend to be generally people who have come out, out of the comfort zone, like Edu Rubio. Do you agree, Edu? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, Guillaume. Hello, John. Hello, Fran. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. So just very quickly, 30 seconds you said, right? So... Uh, my name is Ed Rubio. I'm a UEFA Pro coach. I've been in the UK for over a decade. I've worked at Chelsea Academy, uh, being really lucky to work with the likes of Mick Beale, who is now the assistant gaffer of uh, Stevie G. And we work there with Mason Mount, with Declan Rice and all the players who are now playing in the Premier League. I've worked also in Milton Keynes, MK Dons. I've worked for Nike. I've worked for the Football Association. I've worked at uh, first team level with Crowley Town. I'm currently at Crystal Palace as the assistant of the head of coaching in the academy. I'm actually here in the office trying to make sure that there is no background noises uh, when we do this interview. And I've also, now, I've also developed a new project, a new program called My Energy Game. And that's probably something which is going to come out uh, at some point when I intervene in this interview, because I believe that is some of the future in the next decade in football. Right, so as we were saying with Jan, with Edu, and also with Fran Moya, who we are about to hear, these are people that have come out of what they know and they've been out of their comfort zone a little bit and practice their, uh, their profession abroad, for instance, which always helps. And as I say, it helps to see the bigger picture, and as we're going to hear in the next few minutes. But uh, Fran next, Fran, who is now in Spain and in a wonderful part of Spain, I should say, but has been working in, in England. Give us a little bit, uh, five senses of your, um, of your life story, your professional story, Fran. Well, Guillaume, thanks for, thanks for the invite. As you said, you know, I train in Malaga. That's where I'm based now because I, you know, circumstantially, the, the life goes around sometimes. So I train in Malaga. I was born in Malaga. Um, then I decided, you know, to go to the UK to carry on my medical training, both in emergency medicine and, and sports and exercise medicine later on in Bath University. I mean, it's difficult to resume, you know, like 26 years of experience in sports and emergency. No, you've got, you got 20 seconds more. But, but you know, it's very <laughs> rapidly. I'm based now in a, in a private hospital called Vita Sanit International. I lead the, the international medical services and I'm a consultant in emergency and, and sports and exercise medicine. And the whole advantage that I got is like, although I've been working, I'm very linked, I'm very liaising, especially in the world of tennis and football with some teams and some stage in my, in my professional life. Uh, in the last 10 years, 11 years, I think, you know, like throughout the Costa del Sol and, you know, Marbella Football Center, I think I had the chance, you know, like to work with lots of teams. And usually what we do is we provide, you know, like tertiary care, you know, like for the medical teams, you know, like when the teams are around doing the stages. Now we got the Norwegian, the Norwegian national team is going to stage here. In fact, you know, they're going to play the official game against Turkey. Um, I had, you know, like probably an advantage because I know from a lot of backgrounds, you know, like what the problems are within the medical teams, you know, like from mostly all the world football teams, because, you know, there are also Chinese teams, you know, like training here um, and we have to provide care to them. So did I do right? 
Yes, you did, because you actually put, uh, painted the, uh, the picture, a picture in which not everything is perfect and there are a lot of things that we can improve and we're going to touch on that. But first, why don't we um, describe the situation now? What is football now? What is it that we're teaching kids to learn? And if you can start putting out of there things that we could improve on. Jan, where, where are we now with football? So uh, uh, directly, um, my uh, my ideas is uh, make it more player-led and prevent coaches with with more uh, insights in how the human brain and the movement, yeah, so the physical movement works. So decision making to to understand uh, the player more from a total holistic uh, perspective. That is something, uh, so I'm a head of coaching, so I can't say anybody else has to do it. I have to do it myself. I have to be the example. What I see a lot is that when we talk about generations, that the next generation often talks about a little bit negative about the future uh, generation. Uh, they are constantly on their phone. They, they are not aware. They, they don't listen. They don't do what we want. Uh, but that is our next prime minister. And that are the CEOs of our big companies. And that are our next stars on the, on, on the sports. And maybe even the next doctors and, and uh, people in, in hospitals. So I think we have to change that totally and be more active influencing the quality of those uh, young people at the moment. They really need it to, to have uh, adults who, who create a situation that they can develop themselves. Do you feel that football has been taken away from its essence a little bit? Football, when we played as a kid, is a, is a ball and you and friends and enjoyment. And I look at uh, how people play in the park, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds. I don't see any coach anywhere. It's mm. just uh, they themselves and they learn uh, to, uh, you know, to improve just by playing and playing and playing. Is that where you think we've gone a little bit too far? We handed over football to coaches and we need to bring it back to players? I think it's a sort of uh, a wave. So it's, at first it's, it's the players and then you get new insights from uh, research and, and, and uh, development. And then the coaches or the, the, the specialists get, get more attention. Then you get it back to the players again. So it's a constantly wave going up and down. At the end, it should be player-led. The idea is that uh, we ask the players and understand the players. Not looking for right answers. No, looking at how they look at, at situations and help them and guide them and challenge them. But in a way that they... Yeah, they can almost find out a new way of playing. So, Edu, let, let's bring another coach in. Uh, we are talking about um, football now, and, and I want you to describe us in your experience. What is it that you're doing, and has it been done for a long time now, and do you think it needs, it needs changing? When we talk about the past, the, the present, the future, I'll just like to bring into one thing, which is the self-determination theory, all right? So I think all athletes, all players, all coaches, anyone, anyone who is a professional of any type of industry will need three basic things, which are competency, autonomy, and connection. So I think we need to, right now, we are too focused on competency, which is very, very good. And obviously, I'm a coach myself, so I'm not trying to say that, by the way, by saying player-led doesn't mean that the coach doesn't have a job to do in the changing room, doesn't have a job to do on the grass. It means that the coach, or in my eyes, it means that the coach doesn't have to 
have an egotistic approach to coaching, thinking that everything has to be through him or through her. So that's the first clarification in terms of player-led. So that's probably what we are getting wrong a little bit at times. That obsessiveness from the coach to think that they have all the answers and they know everything and that competency is the main thing. It's one of the main things. It's very important. We are all obsessed about the tactics, the techniques, the understanding of the game, and rightly so, and rightly so, especially when we work in the elite, because the small margins are fundamental. But sometimes by obsessing ourselves with that aspect of the game or that aspect of the self-determination theory, we forget connection and autonomy. And that is where I think we can do better in the future. What do you mean? What is connection and autonomy? So for me, connection is those relationships that we establish between the players, the staff, and everyone in the club, which creates culture. And culture is fundamental. And so when you go into the club and there is a strong culture and everyone embodies that culture, those values, then there is an energy. And that energy is so powerful that gives you those small margins as well. And sometimes there are hidden margins and sometimes we don't look after them, about them and we don't really care about them because they're not directly tangible into competency. Um, mm -hmm. And then autonomy is probably what we sometimes mis misunderstand by player-led. So sometimes some coaches or some people understand player-led by let them do what they want. Well, it's not really that. It's more about give them the autonomy to feel empowered to make decisions and be part of the decision-making process. This is already fascinating because I can see Fran head going like, yes, 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 I agree with all this. And you would think, well, how can the, 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 the medical side be in agreement of all this? Because what has happened in recent times is that sports science has become a bigger part of, uh, of football. But I know where you're coming from, Fran. I'll let you explain it. But I think you that have got the bigger picture also feel that um, we're giving too much importance to one single person, no? to the manager, to the head coach, and not to everything that's around it. I cannot agree more, you know, with some statements that Edu and Jan, you know, stated in, in, the, in, this, in this forum. First, you know, like just to give you, you know, like some, some figures, you know, like in, in 2014, uh, $1 billion were lost in injuries, you know, in the, in the major league, uh, in the major baseball league in the States. And in 2017, 177 million pounds were lost throughout injury uh, in the Premier League. So the, the importance of the medical team, I think, is paramount and is going to be the future. And in clubs, you know, I like have to bet on that if they want to narrow the margin. I think medicine has evolved into something we call patient-centered uh, medicine. Selective medicine, precision medicine is not about player-led. It's about player-centered medicine and how we coach and how we approach not only elite competitive sport. I think it will be you know, into any competition at all. I mean, as you said, I played myself in lower leagues. You are the chairman of, of, um, of uh, Beagle's Way. So the similar level, and you know, Guillem, that we are competing you know, like for competitive. I've been a competitive, and I still am a competitive sportsman myself. And when you are competing, you, know, like you, you center everything in competing. But 
say, I mean, focusing on what Edu said, I mean, medical teams and communication and to create that environment in a football club is now proven that affects, you know, the rate, it lowers the rate of injuries and improves performance. I mean, I'm, and I'm talking, I'm a passionate person about science, not about, uh, you know, thinking or whatever. I mean, there is a study now an observational study that is good, you know, like not as strong evidence as a clinical trial, you know, double blind, whatever. But we got now some evidence. It's a, it's a word done by, I mean, I got the article here by Jack Estrand that he proved that it, there is communication between the manager and, and, the, and the head of the medical team. And that is, you know, like what probably not a modern football has to orientate, just to give, you know, the head of the medical team the same kind of status as a manager to create you know, a, a communication environment in which all the connections are, even with the boardroom, with the CEO, with, with whoever involved you know, in decision-making in the football club, improves, improves the performance because it lowers the injury rate. And this is you know, like what Edu said about the mental and the psychology and the, and the preparation. It's a holistic approach of a footballer. It's, as I said, it's like we said in medicine, it's patient-centered, is player-centered. Because the players at the end of the day are the important ones, are the ones you know, that are going to play the game and are the ones you know, that have to be 100% probably in a good you know, like kind of mental and physical state. But it's, everything is connected. I mean, there are now, I mean, and that's you know, like what science is heading. But I think you know, the guys that put the money on, the guys that rule football, Football is very obsolete and sometimes, you know, it reminds me of it's very parallel to medicine because it's very difficult, you know, to change sometimes, you know, like things that we do in medicine. But football is rigid. It's an obsolete, you know, like kind of regime in which sometimes even an agent, you know, like has more power than any of us, you know, like making decisions. Um, this is, you know, like something that if the guys, you know, that are uh, ruling football, especially in the clubs, because UEFA and FIFA, I think, are doing a good job recommending and the medical departments are working well. They develop FIFA 11, et cetera, et cetera. But if the clubs are really betting for us and for science and to try to get, you know, like good communication and to change the organigram and the status and the organization charts, you know, the football clubs, that, I mean, obviously the clubs that do that, I think will have more chance to perform well. We've been talking for a while and we haven't said about buying strikers and we're not talking about tactics and we're not talking about getting a number 10 that can link up with the, with the number nine. Jan, we are talking about atmosphere, happiness, <laughs> mental health. Is that where football should be going, you feel? Yeah. In my uh, opinion, the coach is the helper. So uh, you, you can always ask the coach. Yeah, and, and we all know that that is uh, a very high uh, risk because in all environments uh, that I've been and where I visited, the coach is uh, in the lead and tells the kids what to do. And sometimes from uh, the idea that they think it's player-centered, but it's totally uh, not. And, and of course, I read all the stories about the beautiful places. And then I, I, I watch them, I visit them, and then maybe 10% is true. So there's a lot talking, 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 but doing, 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 I like more. And I would like to make a link to, um, let's say, the culture that, uh, and the energy that Edu brought on. Uh, you can see that uh, back in behavior of, of people, not only the players, but the total environment. 
And uh, then you see participation and you see language. You want to understand each other, not you want to tell some, somebody what to do. No, you want to understand each other. And uh, then you have to be more interested in the total person, everything. Uh, and that never stops. Uh, that, that goes on and on. So that contact, that deep connection has to be real, not fake. Uh, that has to be real interest. And, and those youngsters at the moment, they see it, it within five seconds. They, they know if you're real for them or if it's fake, if, it, if you're just a, a puppet. So that's why I think it's, it's, it's interesting that you as a coach are able to ask the players, okay, what do you think of me as a coach? What do you like? What do you dislike? Help me. Uh, and that is yeah, just a little example what what I had to do. Uh, I, I, I came to Arsenal and I worked uh, with a group of players, uh, absolutely great, great guys. And sometimes uh, my English was not the right English. I thought I was, but uh, so they, they gave me lecture. They just teach me uh, coach. So I asked them, okay, what, uh, what do I speak out wrong? And how can you, how should I do it? And that, that broke almost the feeling of, hey, this coach uh, is really willing to help. And uh, that was also the approach of all the other coaches at Arsenal. Uh, somebody has to start with it. That's fascinating because what are you actually asking these coaches who have been developed in a completely different idea of what they are, what their role is? And I'm going to add on this because you obviously learned that you uh, not only are the leader of the group, if you can, you will be also the manager. So you'll take decisions at all levels. That's what uh, you've been developed as, especially in the UK. Perhaps in Spain, there's more, the coach is more part of like a cog in the whole machine. England is the leader. It's, it's a culture that admires the strong leaders. So they want it everywhere. They want it, especially in a football team. So Edu, you, you've been uh, mixing both. You are the coach. What Jan is proposing here, and I think uh, you as well, is to redefine the role of the coach. So you have to change as you go along because you are, at the same time as developing and learning new methodologies, you have a career. So you, you want to go as far, as far as you can in your career. To do that, you have to do it in the way that people will see you're strong. But the suggestion here is actually you have to show your weaknesses as well. So how do you deal with all that evolving and education and development that coaches you feel have to go through right now how, how is it going for you from that point of view for me it's all about mindsets for me it's about educating from the football association educating our new coaches to understand that be the leader doesn't doesn't have to be related to a leadership of dictatorship doesn't have to be related to a leadership of egotistical approach it could be a servant leader it could be a, a leadership of I'm part of the team, um, I'm here for you, and I work for you rather than I work with you or you work for me. And um, this kind of vocabulary that is quite easy and is only words, it already creates an energy and it already creates probably mindsets. And so for me, it's the understanding that the coach is a fundamental person within the changing room. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm a coach myself. I'm not saying that we don't have a role and it's not an important role. What I'm saying is that we don't need that hierarchy in which everything has to be determined by this person. This person could be part of the decision-making process. This person could have the last say, but this person has to rely, relay immensely in 
all the professionals that are there working with this person for the athletes, for the players. Just to give you some stats, um, Guillem, I think, and obviously answering a few of the questions you asked before, I think football is going to be more intense, high-intensity movements, high-intensity um, speed in the games. We are going to demand more number of passes within the game. Therefore, it means that decision-making processes are going to be challenged. Players are going to have to be fast movers, fast thinkers. Uh, we are going to high press. Therefore, all of this is going to create an immense pressure on the athlete when they have to perform. And then, in addition, more number of games per season. And especially now, we are trying to catch up all the tournaments and all the games that we've lost because of the pandemic. And so this creates a cocktail in which either you are capable of dealing with this as a person or you're going to break. So I'll go back into the same sort of thing. The manager cannot deal with all the answers to these questions if we want to play this type of football. And the players cannot deal with that just if we focus on competency. We have to focus as well, in my opinion, in autonomy, connections, and we need to work on finding that energy with the athletes so they do know themselves a bit more. So that is my challenge for the next decade. You're listening to Can We Come In with Guillaume Balagay. The halftime break is brought to you by GentingBet. Visit sports.gentingbet.com for all the latest odds and in-play betting. And please, gamble responsibly. As Fran has mentioned, I'm the chairman of a football club in the ninth division. And it's not elite, which means that uh, I don't have the pressures that elite clubs have got. But... I feel I've created an atmosphere in which everybody's empowered, from the volunteer to the head coach. I don't call them managers because managers is like, a, is like saying king in a kingdom that doesn't exist. But head coaches are empowered, the assistants are empowered, the technical secretaries, and I kind of disappear and appear at the right time. What I'm trying to get at that, I'm sure I, I'm getting it wrong in many ways, but what I'm trying to get at that is that unless that culture is created. These ideas that you're talking about will go nowhere because you cannot come as a head coach. First of all, they have to get you. They have to sign you. And if they know that you're the kind of head coach that proposes a atmosphere instead of 4-4-2, decision makers may have, it, may have a difficulty there. So what I'm trying to say with this as well is that, uh, Fran, you have, been, you have spent time in, football, in professional football clubs. You have to deal with managers, those managers that we're talking about, which now we are... Uh, implying that their way of thinking is obsolete, perhaps, because they think themselves as that king in that kingdom that doesn't exist. But do tell us, because you're very good at, with memory, tell us things that have happened with those managers in the past. Tell us anecdotes, stories, things that you tried to implement and what kind of obstacles you found, because I'm sure that didn't only happen to you. All of us have found that kind of obstacles. Tell us about those obstacles with those managers that we're talking about. Well, Guillem, I mean, it's, it's like any working relationship. You have, you know, like your bad, good days, bad days. But I think, first of all, you know, like, as I said, you know, it's got to be a culture. It's got to be a change, you know, of the whole organization chart and how football is coming you know, from the top to the bottom. But 
I mean, football moves an immense amount of money, okay? And everybody has now the pros on because, you know, if a club has something, you know, it's, just, it's like a bit, you know, like stupid, you know, it's like a club has, some, has something, you know, like the, the whole team, I mean, the whole of the other clubs, you know, they must have it, even if they don't use it. I mean, and sometimes you have to face managers in this, in this, in, in making decisions. And it's, it's a lot of, you know, like psychology, it's a lot of psychological war because, you know, like I am the position of a, of a club physician is always, you know, trying to be interacting with the players. And, and most of the work is psychological and, and, and just try to get to know, you know, your bar, your bathroom stuff as well and see how, you know, like you are capable to empathize all together and try to, you know, to try to sort, you know, the whole mess because, as Edu you know, and everybody knows, and Jan, competitive and elite sports is harmless, it's harmful, it's harmful for the brain. I mean, it's, it does a study in the, from the psychological point of view. It's not something, it's not something healthy from the, from, even from the mind you know, and from the body, because as, as you said, you know, like football is going at the speed that we, I mean, we, we even can, couldn't think, you know, like 20 years ago. I always put the example that only 20 years ago, you know, a like football game, the players run an average, you know, like four or five kilometers. Now they run about 13. I mean, and you can imagine, I mean, the, the, the challenge, you know, in, in this, in this in, in, it's been in few years that suddenly, you know, like they are super athletes and even the pressure that everybody has on, on them is just amazing. And that is, you know, like, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of pressure mentally. But I had a lot of, I mean, it's, it's like you said, you know, like suddenly... You said, look, you know, like, we don't think this player is mentally or, or, or capable. And then the, the manager said, well, I have to play him and whatever. And then, you know, like, sometimes, you know, like, you know that decision is wrong, but, you know, like, well, whoever, you know, like, is, is saying the last word. And sometimes, you know, like, some, some things are, you know, like, more important than science and the scientific point of view and, and, and the knowledge that we have. And even, you know, like, we have, you know, like, data and we have, I mean, I've been working for the last 10, 10 years in Ale with an Irish company called Metrospeed that they were pioneering in trying to give, uh, it's an application that they give to any player and then they can record, you know, like how the mental state is, you know, like how whatever, and then it's, it's kind of um, a big data analysis and then it can tell, you know, like if, if you are prepared and you are in, in, at your best to compete that day or not or to train at that day. So it's a lot of, a lot of tools now that we can use, but, but sometimes, as you said, you know, is the culture that, the manager has the last word. And depending on you know, like how you interact with the manager, um, yeah, you can be very empathetic. And I, I mean, you know, I've been in medical management. I was challenged one, once you know, like by one sport director. I mean, and you know him. Uh, he was a Malaga. And he said, Fran, you're going to have a lot of difficulties, you know, to deal with footballers. I said, look, you know, I've been 20 years, you know, like, look, I mean, dealing with doctors. Do you think, you know, that dealing with footballers is, is different from dealing with doctors and, and all what medicine entails, you know, like, with all our egos and, and whatever. So it's, it's sometimes difficult to, even if you are very empathetic, I think, you know, like you have to have a structure. I mean, I read an article just before, I mean, yesterday about, you know, like how the, the, the ballroom and the, the owner of the Chicago, I think it was the blue, the Red Sox, you know, it was a, the baseball team of Chicago. Does, I mean, I don't know if it's Chicago or the other one. He realized, you know, they were having a opportunity. So suddenly, suddenly he, he decided, you know, to reshuffle the medical team and give importance to the medical team. Because sometimes it's not about resources in terms of money. It's about resources in terms of organizational culture and, and change. So you have to sometimes, you know, like, play your role and it helps you know like the club is giving you, you know like the the kind of you know like the 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 organization 
security that that and the manager also you know there are some managers and some sorry some head coach and coaches and now are starting to be more open about you know what we say but there are millions there are millions of an- anecdotes you know that sometimes you know like the decisions are and then they blame us they blame the medical team it's very easy i mean it's very easy sometimes you know to go into a press conference and say well the, the the medical team didn't give us the clear and, and sometimes you think well you know it's this i mean in in press conferences in the open internally I mean, lots of things, you know, that people don't know, but because it's also, you know, the medical confidentiality that we have to keep. So it's just a lot. But I mean, things have to change. Yeah, uh, I think that's the main conclusion of, of today's chat. Jan, you know, you're going to have now after this a long queue of coaches from abroad who want to come to that holistic approach that you're talking to a new ways of, uh, of, uh, of dealing with players. Because there are, and as I said earlier, there are many places that, that openly decision makers at the club will talk like you do. Have you felt that that's spreading, that these ideas that you're talking about are getting more universal or, or, or not? Are you still the exception in a way? Uh, well, first of all, I have to be thankful for the, for the club that they gave me sort of a blank sheet. So I, they, they thought with the experience and how they know me, they should give me a blank sheet. Uh, then a year later, they came up with the vision that FC Utrecht is a place where players and employees are able and helped to uh, become the maximum form of themselves in personal ambition and club ambition. That made everybody curious about the ideas of somebody else. So that makes uh, the story of France so strong that I go areas what, what, where I don't know. So normally I wouldn't go there because I would be scared if somebody is more clever. But now we look to each other who say, oh, uh, you know something I don't know. I want to learn of you. You create a total different environment. Then the youth nowadays, they are very good in quick scans. They decide within three, four seconds if they put energy in you or not. Uh, the motivation is inside, but the inspiration has to come from outside. Uh, so that means that there has to be cohesion, no secrets, and there have to be creative ideas, not, uh, let's say, closed mindset. So it has to be open for new ideas. You, if somebody comes up with an idea and you have the idea, well, this is not going to work, you still say, okay, we're going to try it. Explain me. So that means that my role as head of coaching, and I'm the only one in uh, the Netherlands at the moment, so normally the academy managers do this within the job, but we all know how busy they are, is that I always say... I know nothing, I do nothing, and, and, and I understand nothing. Uh, but I'm very curious. So, so if somebody asks a question, I ask a question back, and then I see what kind of energy is there. And that, for me, is, is a, a place where I see that people want to work in. Isn't it funny that uh, we had to wait over 2,000 years for Seneca's words to actually be applied to football? We know nothing. And hence, we ask, and we are not the, the people with all the answers. But we are in a particular time in, in, in our world and in, in our lives, something that I think we're not going to leave ever again. If there is another pandemic, I've got the impression that the, um, the weapons that have been used now to control, yes, but also to get information, will be there. And the response will be different. Maybe. <laughs> Let's be positive. Maybe. But in any case, the situation we're living now in which we are enclosed right now, I'm in my first day in the UK for a year. So I've got to be in this room for 10 days 
unless I take an extra uh, test, which I will do, and then I'll be able to come out day five. This kind of um, situation in which you don't have full control of yourselves or your decisions, where the state has taken over in so many ways with crossing borders, uh, it's so difficult, where uh, people have had to, time to think. I wonder if, uh, Edu, if we are actually inviting people to think more about the processes and the jobs. And it's a good opportunity for the kind of approaches that uh, you're talking about to actually take root. Do you feel it's, it's a good time for that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I generally believe that this pandemic has highlighted something that's always been there. But obviously, it's only when there is a problem that people start thinking about solutions, right? But the, the, the thing has always been there. And so what I'm trying to say is that people feel unsettled. Athletes now, even in the elite environment, feel unsettled with things that before were not a problem. So there are no spectators at the stadium. Uh, when we come to the training ground, we have to go through you know, loads of security controls, like if we were coming into an airport, which obviously that was unthinkable one and a half years ago before the pandemic. So I think this has highlighted the importance of what I'm trying to say about um, connection and autonomy and thinking a bit more deeper about yourself. So I think the future, going back to your question, your original question about what the game is going to look like in five, ten years' time or what are we trying to take the game, um, I think my opinion, my humble opinion, is that the game is going to be high-pressure game. The way we play it, with higher speed, movements and thinking, with loads of passes, with loads of high pressure. So that from the tactical side, but also high demands from society because of obviously restrictions with pandemics, with probably a financial crisis coming up as well, and loads of other things. And people not having the same freedoms that we used to enjoy, even if, you know, if normality comes back, probably will be a different normality. And so what I'm trying to say is that the secret for me will be a deep understanding of who you are as a person, who you are as an athlete, who you are as a coach, who you are as a member of a staff in the club. And when we do that, when we go a little bit deeper in ourselves, we will be able to connect better. We will be able to offer autonomy to people and we will be more competent, not just as an individual, but also as a collective, as a team. And I do believe that the answer is with a, a, a different type of leadership as I said before, servant leadership. And that's why, you know, I told you the other day, for me, I created my energy game because I think athletes and coaches, we need to think deeper. Fran, we are uh, talking about the, uh, the future uh, and I'll go to Jan as well about this. Uh, let's, let's imagine what it, what it looks like. Certainly one thing that in your eyes should be improving, as, as you've been saying, is the relationship between the information that you've got and how it gets used. But also... Um, the clubs themselves have to know more about the players. I'm, I'm thinking of one particular case, COVID. Right now, uh, I don't think clubs are taking decisions with all the information in their hands. And I know it's difficult to get all the information, but they don't seem, they seem to be bothered more about how can I get the player back on the pitch? Uh, how can, how can I get him, his injury time be reduced? Then perhaps as many of them are going through COVID, Knowing the consequences of having had COVID, do we know enough? Do clubs know enough? Do they have to work harder at it? 
the problem with COVID is like we still don't know, you know, like what medium long term effects, you know, like is, is having on people who suffer COVID, even if they had, you know, a like mild version. Never mind, you know, the ones, you know, that had pneumonias and whatever. I mean, we don't know still because we are monitoring. As I said to you, and I stated in the in the last time that we talk, we talk in public. I mean, COVID has been an illness that the guys, you know, like uh, and the doctors and all the professionals and all the health professionals uh, interacting with COVID. We have learned from this illness, you know, like minute by minute, because it's something new. It's an illness, um, and I'm very proud to say how science, you know, like has evolved, you know, like rapidly in in stopping, you know, like people suffering. But still, it's a lot of knowledge that we lack about this illness and how is this going to affect the general population? Never mind to elite or to healthy people or to young people that have suffered from pneumonia. As you know, that there are some footballers than some elite footballers that had COVID and they were not performing well and, and they're still having, now they change, you know, the long, long COVID syndrome is not called that anymore. I mean, uh, last week it's been changing you know, into something called PASC, that is a post-acute sequela COVID. And it's a term that, that, that Professor Fauci, you know, like has stated in the States. So still, it's very wary because science, you know, like cannot answer, you know, like things, you know, like immediately. Um, and as you said, as, as, as it happens in, without the pandemic, I mean, what, what the clubs and football wants fast results. I would like to ask Jan, you know, like they're going to let him you know, like develop that for a long time because you know that when the ball doesn't go in, people start getting nervous. And never mind if you have a big project or you have whatever. They just like and with the axe and they can ask another you know, the medical team, the head coaches, you know, like, and then whatever. Because football is a very... I mean, elite sport is a very weird environment, but we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, and, and I think, you know, like, as I said, we should be more a player center. I mean, we, we as doctors, no one wants to look after more our patients than us. And sometimes, you know, that can produce problems because we, we said, you know, like probably this player is not prepared, you know, like to compete or to train. We can have clashes. And that's, you know, like something that I don't know if I answered the question. It's, it's, it's going to be very difficult for, for science. And I think I, I insist, you know, like people have, decision makers have to listen to us more because if you force a player to come back, you know, like too soon, possibly you're going to lose, you know, like more time in the future. That's what I'm saying. You have to look after the human resource. At the end of the day, you know, like is a player, is something that produces revenue as well for you. And if you burn him in, in a decision, in, a, in, the, in making a decision that is going to be at all costs that he's got to play, probably you're going to lose him for three, four months. And with COVID, we haven't got the signs and we have the evidence behind us because we are learning day by day. Gian, you're going to have to answer, Fran. Are you going to be given time? Yeah, no. Uh, thank you, uh, Fran, and, 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 and thank you for sharing your insights because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. In my opinion, if you look at life, you want to be comfortable. You want to be safe. You want to be healthy financially. Everything has to be. But that means that comfortable means comfort zone. And we all know that the real growth starts when it becomes uncomfortable and out of the comfort zone. And if you want to do that happily, it's, it's a choice of yourself. Sometimes it's done because uh, you had a company and uh, you, you can't sell anymore. So you, <laughs> you have to sell your house and everything. But still, you're out of the comfort zone and the real people, they can change to a new part. And that's where we are looking for. So for me, it's all about increase 
the possibility to be successful. Football is such a beautiful game. Why do people want to watch it? Because they don't know the score at the end of the game. That's why everybody wants to see that next game. We won today, but next week we have to uh, play against that one. Ooh, that's going to be difficult. Or we're going to win easy. We will go three steps up uh, uh, in the standing. That is what people like about football. The unpredictable of the score. So we need experts and specialists who are hungry and curious to the knowledge and, and experience of the other uh, uh, experts and specialists because it's so difficult. You can't say, I know it all. You can't say, uh, I can do it on my own. What kind of sites as a coach I have to develop to be open for insights of others? And, and I think, uh, come back to Pep and Cruyff and Michels, what did they do? At that time already, at the start, they brought in other specialists. Not because that were the specialists, but because they needed that insight. And then it's also good for a specialist because they can perform and they can see that it works and then they can go on to the next level again. So, so you almost increase the level constantly. And there is so much uh, resistance against growth from inside that I like to, to get that uh, anxiety away with coaches. You can say whatever you want in this room. The door is closed. If you don't say it, it's your own fault. But too many coaches think, okay, I'm not going to say this because everybody will be against me. No, no. It is open. And please let also the players be involved and maybe even the training sessions be play player-led. Guillem, just allow me to say that, Jan, you know, like, I, I'm, I will be probably, you know, like, we are saying, more than willing you know, to change Sunny Malaga for Utrecht and to work with you. Well, <laughs> with, all the, with all the respect to your medical team, that possibly, you know, like, they are doing a great job and you are connecting with them already. But, you know, like, it's, it's very exciting, Jan. You know, I like, think, you know, like, it's very exciting. And, I and hope it starts you know, with us, like, uh, friend. It's, you encourage me to say the things that I'm saying. Uh, it's not that I prepared everything. I, I just react to what you said. Well, that to me is like an eureka moment, a moment where two people connect and they, there is things in common. Three people, in fact, because the, the three of you have got similar ideas about where, where should we going. To finish it off, uh, I'm going to go back to the question at the beginning, and I, um, which is where, where do we see the football player or football going in, say, 10 years' time? Because we haven't changed that much in the last 10 years, you know? Uh, when Pep Guardiola started the coaching push in 2008. That's already a long time ago. So it's a, it's a generation ago, at least. Now we've seen, you know, Borussia, Borussia Dortmund did it with Klopp, this, uh, this high pressure as well. That was all, also a decade ago. So in 10 years' time. And I was sent a graphic which indicates things that uh, they reckon it could actually be the, 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 the design of the player of the future. So... I suggest to you, I'm going to mention a few things. To win, uh, it will be necessary more pressure, pressure even higher, and to reorganize, reorganize yourself quicker, which is what Edu was saying. So everything is going to be faster. Uh, there's going to be an increase of efforts of high intensity and players that are even physically stronger. There will be algorithms to individualize the risk of injuries and uh, there will be a monitoring of real time to evaluate those injuries. There will be a bigger mental stress due to the quantity of games, but also of training, of, of this training that may be 
still the same amount of time, an hour, an hour and a half, but it'll be even more intense. Plus the, med- the media environment will be higher, so even more stressful. There will be more games per season with periods of greater intensity with lesser amount of recuperation time. I want the three of you to uh, to see what, what comes in your mind when you hear all this, which seems to be in the agreement from everyone that that's where that is what this is what we're going to demand of our football players. So, Edu, first, you, you hear all this and, uh, and and what do you think of? Well, I hear all of this and I say I agree and I say that I can I can already see that happening. So this is already started and this is going to increase in the next five ten years. So that's what I see in the ne- in the next decade in football, regardless of whether you play four four two, four two three one, or whether you play three four three. I mean, you know me as well from a from a tactical side. I don't think that formations underpin a style of play anyway. But that's for another conversation, another forum that we might create more around tactics and so on. But the point is that I agree with everything you said there, and that's why I'm a great believer that a decision makers whether they are managers, whether they are head of medicine, whether they are technical directors, sporting directors, head of coaching, are going to have to have a growth mindset. Are going to have to have a mindset in which they can see the problems and they can try to tackle them with being creative, being curious, as Jan said, asking questions. And it has to be player-centric. And when I say player-centric, it means all decisions have to be relevant to give answers to the needs of the players. Now, the only thing I would say, though, is that some of these players might not know what their needs are. They know the direct needs of being an athlete, but they don't know the needs they may have as a person because obviously we are all unsettled by the high pressure. And we all we will all be unsettled by the high pressure of decision-makings and so on. And so these players should, and these coaches and, and everyone involved should also not just have a growth mindset, not just have an approach of humility to learn, to be curious, to want to improve, to want to dedicate themselves to the learning of the game as it evolves, but also to learning themselves. Also trying to discover themselves a bit more and trying to understand their emotions and trying to understand how to manage in a way themselves and how to grow as people. And I think that's the main thing. When you were talking there about the past, I think we have gone a long way in tactics in football. We have gone a long way in including a little bit of psychology. We have gone a long way. And I think it's it's positive. We are not saying that what we've done so far is not good. Football is brilliant. And what we have so far is superb. But I think the new, the new decade is going to demand more about thinking about over emotions, over selves, controlling and managing over true self, over energy, because we are going to be very unsettled. But all the items you've listed there, which I genuinely believe they're going to be taking part in football. Thank you, Edu. Uh, Fran? Well, Guillem, all your statements, my question is, is the human body going to sustain that? Because remember, I mean, we are you asking... You are the doctor, you tell us. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Unless, unless, you know, there is a change, as we've been discussing, unless there is a change and a, and a different approach to the whole evolution of football, I think, you know, like more and more, 
we're going to get you know the players more injured and, and more discapacitated you know like by this this evolution of football they are remember even if they are superhumans or every single body and i'm talking about you know the whole and and the human the human race you know like we still have some limitations i mean we cannot run i mean you say involved you know like something you know that is, is about you know the records in athletics and whatever i mean there is a limit and then how can we minimize you know, those limits or span those limits, I would say? How can we span those limits is just to believe in science. And something that Edu said you know, is, is, is the biopsychosocial approach you know, of the whole patient is, you know, is, is, is something that medicine is learning more, not about a lineal structure, about you know, like how we face illnesses. It's a global and a dynamic you know, structure, a multidisciplinary and holistic, you know, like how we now treat our patients because we know, and this is not, I'm not talking about now I am a footballer. This is about a patient. A patient, I, I'm, I mean, I've been throughout all my career. If the patient believes in you, if the patient is empathizing with you, the patient is in the right mental state, the illness, you know, it like gets better. And, and even, you know, like we can still, you know, like mine is a very hidden it's a very hidden field for, for medicine. And I think, you know, like now the new tendencies in neuroplasticity and neural, neural you know, like changing and whatever, it comes into that. I mean, my conclusion is, yeah, what you are saying is fine, but if people don't believe in science and people don't believe in us and people don't change and the whole structure will not change, there is a risk you know, that those limits you know, like can be surpassed and, and this is not going to be you know, like effective because you know, like the, the game you know, like will, will stall and will hold you know, like somehow. Thank you, Fran. Big, uh, big statement. Jan? From my perspective, there is already a big change uh, with the position of the head coach. Uh, look at the head coaches and how they deal with star players. It's more star player-led than that the coach <laughs> decides. So at the end, uh, to win now or later, and then we talk about that, that feels like stress or as a desire. Uh, for me, uh, that is something that comes up because uh, some people um, experience certain situations totally need not as stress. They totally feel comfortable. So that means that you have to look at better decision making in, in, in that change of the game. So again, increase the chance of, uh, of uh, success. So science and uh, research and development and uh, the, the, the day by day games, you have to agree to disagree. That means that you really go, dig deep to how can we help the player to perform to the maximum. And at this moment, I would say the total recovery. So not a recovery just in one point, but, but in all areas, and if, you, if you're going to analyze that, you will see that recovery is much more than what we talk about recovery at the moment. Let's say a player, a young player, and he lives away from his family in another country. It happens all the time. And then we look at, okay, what are you doing as a club? Yeah, but uh, we pay him already. So that is, uh, that is what we do. And that is uh, not enough. And, and, and the player uh, has to be involved in uh, monitoring algorithms, uh, high intensity, the way of play. So the role of the player becomes higher. So the expectation of the players become higher. So the education, the, the academies have to be higher. So you need better coaches in the academy who can bring up players who can deal with that better decision-making on the highest level. We've had a, I have to say, fascinating peek into the future. 
And there are far too many conclusions to be finishing the podcast by, by naming them all. Uh, listen to it again, and then you'll see that whatever you were thinking about, about the football and where football is going, I think you're going to be challenged by listening to all these three gentlemen. But let me conclude with one thing which I mentioned at the beginning. It's not by chance that Jan, Fran and Edu didn't speak today, I may include myself, in their own language, that they actually have been abroad, that they challenged everything they knew, and they actually were very uncomfortable, I'm sure, at some point. So they started opening up their minds. So if there is one conclusion to take is that the yeah, football is going wherever it's going, but do get out, do get out and see the world. Fran, Edu, Jan has been absolutely brilliant. And uh, we should re rethink all this in a few years time and see if we've got it right or wrong. It doesn't matter though. You actually made us think, and that's important, I think. So thank you very much to the field. Thank, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Guillermo. Thank you, Guillermo. Yes. Thank, thank you, Fran and Jan.